One thing that I don't think gets talked about a lot in business is the concept of integrity. You hear a lot about growth, you hear a lot about scale, you know, profitability, right. uh, top line revenue, headcount, exploring new markets, all the things that make a business bigger. But one thing that is just, it's just not talked about often, but it's important, is the concept of integrity. That there are some deals, some business deals, some areas of business that you just don't want to go into because it doesn't feel right to you. And some may say that that is a luxury that you get when you become a successful entrepreneur. But I think one thing that, that these guests showed us and, and demonstrated was that at every stage of their journey from when they were just getting started, and Jonathan Weiner has this great story where he effectively was asked to give a bribe to get something done right. on a particular development deal. But even from an early stage, these big shots that we interviewed, they always had this incredible sense of integrity that yes, they were ambitious, yes, yeah. they want to build something massive, but they would never go against their own integrity. They would never do something that would jeopardize their integrity because ultimately building a business in the right way was incredibly important to them. It's one of the most important things and they all shared this value in that if you build a bridge, you can walk over it more than once. Uh, it takes decades to build a great reputation and minutes to ruin yep. it. And they all wanted to elevate people yeah. everyone around them. I mean, their success should create success for others, for their families, for the communities, for everyone around them. Yeah. And I think they all really saw themselves as positive forces sure. in the world. I actually heard a great story just recently uh, about Howard Schultz, who hopefully will be a big shot one of these days uh, on, on one of our upcoming episodes. And he talks, it's the founder of Spotify, who talks about doing a deal on Starbucks stores where Starbucks drops Apple and does Spotify. And it doesn't go very well. And in that deal, he, they, Spotify has to pay Starbucks a certain amount of money that they frankly can't afford and based on how the deal went. And he figures that Howard Schultz is gonna fire him and, uh, and ask for the money. Instead, Howard Schultz calls him all the way to Seattle and says to him, and apologizes to him, and says, we didn't, we didn't do a good enough job on our side. Never mind the money you owe us. Let's keep going and make this work. And he saw the bigger vision on Spotify. And in the end, of course, Spotify became what it is. And, it, and the partnership was a great partnership. And I think, you know, you look at our guests and they all share that type of thinking. They've yeah. all done things, whether it's Aldo and the importance of love and respect in his company and how he really valued all the different types of nationalities being at the table and treating everybody or, fairly. Or Izzy Sharp in the Golden Rule, right? right? The Four Seasons where, you know, ultimately there's, there's a certain respect that is demanded by right. everyone that works at Four Seasons to the people that, to the, to the customers. But integrity is this interesting thing, which again, doesn't get a lot of time because it's not that sexy of a topic. When you look at the most successful people you know, all of you, think about this. All of them have this incredible, this incredible desire to be people of integrity, of great integrity. It goes along with sort of the community leader thing that if you make, you have a responsibility to give. But one thing you, you see is that not only have they built great things, but how they built it was very important to them. All along the way, as they look back, they're proud of what they've done. I remember sitting in Jonathan Weiner's living room and he talked with great pride beaming on his face, you know, that, that, that big smile. And I remember him saying a lot of his people that worked for him got really rich yep. participating in the deals. And he was almost as excited by that than he was about his himself getting rich. Absolutely. Right? And Aldo uh, could have taken the easy way. You know, he, he originally worked for another shoe company, did very, very well with them, was promised partnership, didn't get it, and there would be no Aldo shoes today. Well, Aldo didn't stay there because he saw someone else operating with a lack of integrity. Lack of integrity. And therefore he said, I cannot be your partner in the long run. That's right. So ladies and gentlemen, another big shot short. Let's talk about integrity. 
Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team in. Started from the bottom, now we here. You're now gonna hear from Jonathan Weiner, the founder of Candorel. And he talks about this amazing story where he left millions of dollars on the table because he refused to pay a bribe. What was, what was the actual ethos? What was the thing that... Just highly, a uh, high level of integrity in dealings. I've left millions of dollars on the table for integrity. Can you give me an yeah. example of that? Well, I have two situations. One is where a, a, a large tenant uh, invited me. We were working on their renewal and he invited me into his uh, premises on a Friday uh, at noontime. And he said to me, uh, and I think at the time I was 29 years old, he said to me, um, you know, my daughter's getting married very soon. I said, congratulations. I said, I have two daughters myself. Um, he says, you know, weddings are very expensive. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, yes, I, I'm starting to save now. And they're only two and four yeah. years old. But I, I, I understand that weddings can be very expensive. And he goes on and on and on like this. And I said to him, look, and this is an open office landscape environment, but there is nobody else in there except me and him. Wow. And he says to me, uh, do you not understand what I'm saying? I said, I understand completely what you're saying. But if you're telling me that the renewal of your space depends on me uh, helping you out with your daughter's wedding, we're not doing business. Wow. And this was, at the time, about a $10 million lease. Wow. Okay, and $75, and uh, $79. And you own this building? I was a part owner. Yeah. Not a major owner. Right, but still, owner. yeah. And I lost the deal. Wow. And I told my guys, my bosses, I said, you know, if you want to overrule me, that's fine, but I will not do it. That's and just to be clear, it's a $10 million lease, but he probably didn't need much. He probably needed 25000 bucks, right? Sure. Something like that? Right. And you still said no. I don't do it. You don't do it. I don't do it. I've never done it. I never have to look over my shoulder. I've never done it. And I lost a much bigger deal, which was a tendered deal, where I was told to put $200,000 in a paper bag. And I have to tell you, it's the only time in my life that I've been physical, I picked the guy up by the lapels of his suit and threw him out the door. Wow. I said, you get the hell out of my office. Wow. You let your people know that we don't do business that way and I'm ripping up my tender. I won the tender. You did? I won the tender, but I wasn't getting the treasury board approval unless I put the money in the bank. And I've never done it. And you walked away from the deal? I did. Yeah. Can you talk about how you build such great relationships, particularly when you're at a young age, like 23 years old, and you're asking for a lot of money from these people? How did that happen? Like, what was sort of the, what was your strategy there? I think underlying whatever you do to build trust, you have to have competence. And we had proven competence. And there's the old expression, you're only as good as your last deal, yep. but as long as you have a good track record to point to, and when you look at the fact that we've built over eight billion and maybe along the way lost 60 or 80 million dollars in real estate, that's not too bad. No, no. Um, I will say there were a couple of deals that we didn't make as much as we thought we would because circumstances changed. Um, but you bring up a good point because to me, 
the ability to cross the same bridge multiple times was more valuable than how much money we pulled out in any one deal. Can you, can you explain that a bit? Long story short, um, I had been working on a deal with IATA for a building on Peel Street. And I had acted as a consultant to Reisman to keep it going because the firm wasn't doing anything with it. Mm -hmm. And finally, I said to Reisman, I said, your whole company, nobody's filling in for me having left and I'm not coming back. He said, well, why don't we do it as partners? And so we did a 50-50 deal. We only had $50,000 deposit out on the land. And uh, so we kept going forward and I kept moving and working on financing and getting things organized. Long story short, he had a little bit of financial trouble and he said, well, why don't you buy me out? So I said, you know what, Gene? I said, let's go to Zitra Siblin's office. Yep. We'll sit with Herb Siblin. Who's that? Herb That's the accounting, accounting firm. Yep. They were bought by E&Y okay. eventually. And I said, let's sit down and, and um, discuss price because I don't want to take advantage. And I said, so Gene, what do you want? He said, I want a million dollars for a half interest on a $50,000 deposit. Sounds rich. I said, uh, Gene, I tell you what, I'm gonna give you a million one. And he looked at me and he said, why? I said, cause I don't want you to ever be able to say that I didn't give you more than you asked for. Wow. And I did it. Herb Sidlin said to me, John, are you out of your mind? Sure. Yeah. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was tired of having been through the business, joint venturing with other developers. And when you're joint venturing with other developers, there are many ways to do things. So you're arguing style in a partnership when that's not complimentary. Huh. It's not complimentary, it's competing. Mm -hmm. What's complimentary was for me to be able to bring financial money institutions to the table so they had the money i had the know-how put that together and be able to go do many deals right. yeah the venn diagram overlap was too much you, you both have the same skill set if you bring money if they bring money and you bring the skill set you actually form the best partnership but that's remarkable but, i mean million one it's probably worth what fifty thousand or a hundred even if you're, you're giving them a premium i mean right so what ended up happening and it goes back to a question you asked me earlier is i did a deal with north american life who put up the million one to buy Reisman, so I didn't put out the money. I got the full development fee, which I didn't have to split with him, and I developed a relationship with North American Life, which built my career, because I did multiple deals with them. Wow. So many that it got to a point where, and I loved the relationship so much, that I had befriended the financial, uh, the CFO of the company, and I, told him what I had in mind that maybe I should sell 50% of the interest in the company to North American and we just keep going forward. Ori Fidani built up a huge uh, portfolio with North American Life. So there was the example. And he said to me, John, don't do it. I said, why? He said, you're going to outgrow us before we outgrow you. You're going to have more deals than we can service. Diversify your relationships. And so what ended up happening, which goes back to your earlier question, I did half a dozen deals with North American Life. I did half a dozen deals with Great West Life. I did 10 deals with Aetna. 
and they became my partners and they all had different kinds of deals that fit their mold. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, if this deal came along, I said, well, this one belongs to Aetna and this one belongs to North American Life because it right. fits their mold. Yeah. And there was no resentment and lawyers were, you know, amazed they could send me a bill for 1200 instead of 12000 or 125000 because it was the same document over and over so, again. Yeah. Now you're going to hear from Aldo Bensadun, the founder of Aldo Shoes, on how love, respect, and integrity was one of the most important things for his success. I had all that uh, anger toward my former employer. Sure, right. I had who's also your who's also your yeah, debtor, your, lender, right? your creditor. Yeah, yeah. What? He's, he's your lender, right? Yeah, yeah, he's your lender. He's your creditor. And uh, you know, I had all that anger. Yeah. I had also the, you know, the the feeling, you know, that what am I going to do now after spending so much time working and so hard? When I started the the company, right. I said, how am I going to do? You know, yet you need to. You know, I've been hurt and I'm angry at my former boss right. and I want to show him that I can succeed. Yeah. I'm worried because um, are we going to have enough money to feed David and, mm -hmm. you know, sure. and, and the family and, and my wife and, um, and my family. I wanted to make sure, you know, that, you know, that they were proud of, mm -hmm. of me. And so you had all those movements and I said, Okay, I'm going to start that company at with Le Chateau, but I'm going to make sure that it's very different. The business model will be different, that we're going to eliminate, you know, the wholesaler. Mm -hmm. yeah. But also the company will be I'm going to prove to my old employer and to every to my friend, to Charlie and IX, that it's possible to be a capitalist and still be a fair person and be a person, you know, that socially is socially minded and create something that can help the world and make the world a better place to be. Wow. And that's when, you know, that whole, the value of our company was created, the value of love, respect and integrity. You know, one of my proudest moment you know, was, I can tell you, was in 1988, they had an aid um, conference in Geneva. And at the conference, they mentioned, they said, you know, we want to thank, you know, two companies that really working hard to make, you know, all the help us in that aid camp, awareness campaign of, of, of aid and those two companies are Benetton and Aldo. And Benetton was huge at this time, and right? Benetton was a huge right. yeah. company. Benetton and, was and like Aldo were just wow. a little tiny company. Right, and here so, you are making and making an impact. Right, I mean, we, exactly. We, you're going to hear from Izzy Sharp, the founder of the Four Seasons, and he talks about the golden rule and how he fired those on his team that would not abide by the golden rule. So if you sort of fast forward, as we're starting to build more hotels and hiring people, I figured if this is going to be an industry that we're going to compete in, we certainly are never going to compete by being bigger. Because, you know, there's Hilton, Marriott, 
Hyatt. These were name brand hotels that controlled the marketplace. I said, we got to have something that's going to make us different that is sustainable. Because as you both know from your own business, if you don't have a sustainable competitive advantage, you're run over pretty quick. Because yeah. everybody sees what you're doing, they copy they can just it, copy yeah. it. Yeah. and they hey, I can do it better. So you have to have something they cannot do better. Sustainable, competitive advantage. So I'm telling our people, I think the only way we're going to be able to compete in this business is we haven't got the capital to become big. Um, Is we're going to have to make our service our distinguishing feature. That is how we are going to compete and to be able to continue to grow. That got a lot of laughs and jeers and yeah, sure, you know, that's, you're, you're not really serious. Are it you? seems gimmicky almost. He said, everybody does yeah. service. How can you make service? It's intangible. What are you, what are you right. talking about? So the senior people in the company really uh, were, you know, wouldn't even think about it. Now, I'm in control of the company. As you know, control is a privilege. And it's a great, you know, benefit if you don't have to ask other people. So I didn't want to, you know, I want to figure out how do you, how do, you do it? How, do, how can we make service? And at that time, you know, we're talking now 1970s. McDonald's was the number one food, you know, fast food service company at that time. And I know there are kids who work behind the counter, always had this upbeat, pleasant, can-do attitude, you know, 16-year-olds who always had a smile and were doing things to help the, you know, always pleasing the customer. Mm -hmm. So I had a friend who was the president of McDonald's Canada, George Cohan. And I said, George, can I come and spend a day in your orientation when you're hiring new kids? Can I... So he said, sure. So I spent a day. The McDonald's sit, orientation. Sitting down with all these kids at McDonald's orientation program. A whole day. Like, <laughs> you know, you're running a fancy hotel in London, England. You're sitting at the McDonald's orientation. I mean, think about that. Did you it's wear like, the hat and the whole thing? Like, <laughs> I, I had hair, so I didn't wear a hat. <laughs> so, um, so I come at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting with the same notebook they give you, and I'm listening, going through... All the, you know, the, the hype that creates. Would, would you like fries with that? Yeah. <laughs> Always offer the size of drink. And they showed the technical thing. But I noticed that the one thing that was the most important that they focused on was this film that they had that had to be 15 to 20 years old, the way that people were dressed, etc. But they were showing that film as the number one focus point. For all these kids, now listen, see what's happening in there, and then I will explain it to you. So they focused on this one film to get, try to get these kids to understand what service was all about. Like an instructional video. It was only attitude, all about attitude. Everything came down to attitude, attitude, attitude. So I'm thinking about it, and I say, you have to get something then that sticks. Because at that time, 
McDonald's ads on TV changed every month. Every month, millions of dollars. And here on the most important thing that they wanted to mes the message. One single video. 15 years old. Because the message was current. Never went out of style. T timeless. Timeless message. So I figured if you could have a timeless message to talk about your employees, then you don't have to change it. You don't have to keep reinventing the wheel as times change. It becomes what you stand for. So I take all our senior people, and I say, I want you to come with me, and we're going to spend a day on McDonald's. We'll do it again. Wow. You brought, so the, you four twice. You brought, brought the Four Seasons staff to all, McDonald's. All my senior people, seven of them. These are the senior people. The guy heads in hotel, development, everything. Can you imagine going to your senior team, your executive team? We're going saying, to McDonald's, follow okay, me. Okay, I got this great idea. Here's how we're gonna go and figure out hospitality. Okay, we're, we're gonna go. We're gonna go sit in on the orientation <laughs> for McDonald's with a bunch of teenagers. I mean, they must, have, they must have been mind blown. They said, you're joking. We've got better things to do. I said, I know you do, but we're going. Sure. So, you're the boss. They you have to do what the boss says. So they go, and they're sitting, and they're joking, and laughing, and making jokes about it. And I'm sitting, and I'm taking all this in. So one of the guys says, look, they're selling hamburgers, and we're selling filet I say, I know what we're selling. It's how we sell it. So I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> There's no way that I could get this message down to these people. Because that gave me the idea that the message that we might use is the golden rule. Because it's, you know, motherhood. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What could be simpler in telling in an individual that is how we are going to manage our workforce? Well, these senior people joked about it, laughed about it, uh, and they said, look, you're, you're, that's philosophy. We're running a business. You know, how, how are you going to get that across? I said, I don't know, but that's what we're going to do. So I, my first task at that time that I had to terminate all these senior people. Well, I'm talking about people who were very competent. They knew how to run a hotel. They knew how to, all the business aspects. That's how they grew up. They were competent in their field. And, you know, one of these is a very close personal friend. So I decided we're gonna start over. And I, over the next wow. couple years, I changed the senior people in the company. They weren't willing to live the brand. I, they would give it lip service. Right. But if they weren't going to walk the talk, if their actions were not going to speak louder than their words, how could you do it? Because if you can't get the message down to the bottom of the triangle, because those are the people who are talking to the customers. Sure. So if I can't get that message down, it's never going to You know, spitting in the wind. Does that mean you actually had to part ways with a good friend of yours? Good friend. And so the sacrifice you're willing to make, I mean, that's a, it's a pretty big sacrifice to rework with a good friend and say, look, this is not going to work out because I need you to live by these principles, not just repeat them to me like, you know, like exactly. lip service. 
And what I did is I wrote out a mission statement. That is still the mission statement of today. I didn't say I wrote it out. I talked to our head of marketing, Doug Hall, and said, Doug, I want to write something about, and it's all about the golden rule. And I want to talk about it, our goals, our beliefs, our principles. So I don't want to use the word the golden rule. I just want to talk about our goals, our beliefs, in a way that people can, hey, that makes sense. So I used that when I went out and talked to the hotels. Spat with the senior people, went through this mission statement, so to speak, and said, do you think you can live with this? Are you prepared to work with this principle? And most of them said, yeah, I think we can do that, but how are you going to get everybody else to do it? I said, well, you're the senior people in this company, in this hotel. If you do it, do. and you come across people below you who don't, make a change. So you, as the leaders in this hotel, are going to be responsible for making sure all the people below you are going to walk the talk. They're the keepers of the culture. And if they can't do it, there's no way they can disseminate right. it to others. And they said, what if they don't do it? I said, well, don't have to cut bait. Yeah, this is what we stand for. You know, so how you said, do things don't stop changing, but what you stand for never changes. Yeah. yeah. So they said, you mean if some of the senior people, like they're talking about their peers. Right. Because not everybody necessarily buy. What about them? I said, the rule applies to everybody. So if you see things that aren't right, there are senior people above you who will take action. I was trying to